I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Even on my heart. Hey everybody, welcome to Following the Fire. I'm extremely excited uh, to talk to our guest. We have Kate Boyd here. I brief, I, I don't know exactly how I found you, but I'm extremely grateful that I did. I don't know how you do all of the things that you do. And I'm sure we'll get to get into what some of those things are. But can you uh, introduce yourself, Kate, and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. I am Kate Boyd. I live in the Dallas, Texas area with my husband and my dog. And um, by day, I do communications work for um, a donor events team at a university. By later in the day, I go to seminary. And then in all the other spare time that I managed to <laughs> wrestle up, um, I do some writing and speaking and just kind of helping people to navigate, yeah, faith when it gets really messy when you're figuring it out. So that's that's me. So I, I think I found you, I, I was looking for podcasts who are doing a very specific thing um, because before we started uh, trying something I want to see is, is someone else already doing this and doing it better? And it turns out you were already doing this. You were hosting these small group format podcasts where people just get to talk about the Bible. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is just like a dream come true. It's like a, a fantasy to just get to. to it's so to fun. I think it's my favorite thing I do. I wish I had time to keep doing it. So I have to transition the podcast to a different format for at least a year because as aforementioned, I don't have a ton of spare time and coordinating it is like, is a bear. Like every episode takes about 10 man hours on my part. Um, and that's on a low end. And so, yeah, but it is my favorite thing. I was on a walk, walking my dog and just had this idea that maybe I'll just bring people together and we'll talk through a couple of chapters of scripture together. And so I sort of made a plan and we do it. And it's so much fun. I get to talk to, I get to meet all my internet friends that way. And um, I'm always astounded by the work that people put in to show up and talk about it. And to even just like, um, yeah, the different things that I learn from everyone, it's just, it is so much fun. So I hope it's as much fun to listen to as it is to for me to do because I really enjoy it. So I, part of me doesn't care if people are listening or not because I actually <laughs> get a lot out of it. But um, it is, I, I hope that it's as beneficial for other people as it is for me just going through the process. I, I mean, I absolutely love listening. Um, my favorite episode is the one with the guy with the Irish accent. For oh, yeah. non-biblical reasons, it's just really fun <laughs> it to listen. Fun. I know. Um, but I just love the, like, it's like a teleportation to a small group and with a different group of Christians talking every time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, my favorite episode is the one with this guy named, uh, was it Nathan? Uh, yeah. Wheat? <laughs> or something? I don't need I don't need to be puffed up any more than I <laughs> 
Um, no, yeah. I mean, it's been really fun to talk through acts because there's like so many weird stories in acts that it's just like really fun to wrestle with it. So it was fun yeah. to have Nathan on and a bunch of other folks this season. It's cool. I just want to share a few more things just because I'm really impressed by all the things you're doing. And then <laughs> maybe we can uh, we can hear a little bit about like how how you got to this this point. So you've got a website, kateboyd.co. Yep. I, I think that's kind of the central hub where you, if you got there, you could get to. Yeah. If you get there, you can find everything else. And there's like, there's resources, there's a newsletter. Um, uh, you've got a pretty active reels slash Instagram presence. Yep. Um, yeah. And then at the same time you're, you're working and going to seminary. It sounds like a lot. It can be. So unless on your, uh, on your website, uh, you mentioned that you are standing in the messy middle and like hashtag messy middle Christian. Can you ex- explain what that means? Sure. So what I sort of found, um, I guess, okay, I'll rewind a little. So, I mean, I think right now deconstruction feels like a big craze, right? Where everyone is sort of going through it, or at least at this point, everyone's talking about it. I, I've said before that I don't think of my deconstruction as a deconstruction, but more of like a disentangling because Mm. um, I sort of realized that a lot of my faith was tangled up with a lot of cultural things that um, Mm. weren't aren't actually necessary, but I thought they were, they were, you know, the things that I fought the hardest for were actually things that like aren't that big of a deal (laughs) in the long run um, or historically or any of that. And I think over the last few years, a lot of us, at least as a person who recently sort of left the evangelical circles, a lot of us, I know a lot of people like me who are sort of wrestling through what we've seen the white American evangelical church become over the last few years. And so we're kind of like navigating this, what feels like a weird land because we haven't, um, we haven't like the, people that raised us in the faith are sort of, it feels like they're choosing other things or they're not living it out the way that we thought that they would or that we thought that they taught us to do. And so you sort of like get thrown into this land where you're questioning a lot of things and you're figuring it out and you have some doubts, but you still have faith. And so I think for me, it's really about inhabiting this space where we are sure of Jesus and we're sure of a lot of, you know, all like the big important things, but we know that there's a lot that we haven't figured out and maybe we don't quite have a super solid place to land, but we at least have a a foundation built that we're working on maintaining and rebuilding. And so um, that's sort of like, if you go to my website too, you'll see the manifesto, which is just sort of like, these are the things that we believe, like that we feel strongly about and there are things you know about who Jesus is and that we belong together and how we want to practice and look at our faith but there's a whole lot that maybe we would disagree about or that we have doubts about or that we're figuring out and so creating a space where we can have questions um, and wrestle with big ideas and go back to scripture the way you know from the beginning and looking at it now from our vantage point instead of just sort of accepting all the things that um we thought we knew about it or that people told us about and really just coming to it freshly and letting the Holy Spirit do his work in this time without fear or judgment. And I think that's really the space that um, I'm trying to do. And I'm also just trying to sort of help people walk through some of that because I think we're seeing 
that it's really hard to do by yourself. So if you have somebody who can kind of hold your hand or at least say, hey, let's do this together, that's really what I hope um, people find when they find me. Mm. Cool. I absolutely love that. And I something that we've all, we've been struggling with is like, what's another word that's not deconstruction? Because it just is a harsh, like you're either against it or for it, or it means something different to different people. And like you said, it's a little bit trendy. And so I, I'm kind of curious, like the people who go through this, I feel like often go through it at different times or go through it alone sometimes. And the first feeling is like, there's something wrong with me. Or I think a lot of people don't feel like there's a middle that they're allowed to inhabit. So how did you come to the, like, to start fighting for that turf that's like in the middle that, you know, because people yeah. weren't kind of offering up that choice, I don't think. Yeah. And I think a lot of people still don't offer up that choice. I mean, I think there are fundamentalists on every side, right? I think we think of fundamentalism as a specifically conservative thing. Maybe that's because how it's been used um, for us. And I also want to be careful of saying like, this is the middle where we're just going to pick a centrist view on everything. Like, I don't think that's it either. It's really about giving yourself space to figure it out, right? And yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a safe space to do it when I was going through it. I, mine was really happening, you know, a decade ago and over the last, um, has sort of slowed a little bit over the last few years, but I think it's a process. If we're healthy, we're always reexamining what we believe and making sure that, you know, we're, we haven't tangled it up in something else. And so, um, I think it's a lifelong process and I just started to notice that like people were sort of demanding me to have everything figured out or to like stand here or there. And I was like, I, I want to, I want to be able to say that I have it figured out, but I don't yet. Here's what I know for sure. I'm going to hold tight to that. Um, or like, this is what I believe to be true. Let's hang out here. We all agree on that part. So let's be cool. And, you know, right. let's give ourselves space to agree and disagree and to learn about things and to ask questions because I sort of discovered that a lot of what I grew up in that was called discipleship is really more of like an indoctrination, right? Like this is what you believe and this is how we behave and you can't question any of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it that's sort of like... I don't know. I feel like that kills faith <laughs> in a way. Like yeah. there's a there's an aspect of like certainty when you haven't wrestled to come to that that feels very like weak and frail. And I think that's why people respond in such different ways. Um, I always talk about like people, you know, they either double down, they demolish or they disentangle. And so I, you know, I was like, I'm committed to Jesus that was never a question for me. I know for some people that is a question, and I and I think that's fair given what a lot of people have gone through. Um, I was always committed to Jesus and to church, and so I was like, but I feel like there are things that are wrapped up in this. So I did sort of – I was lucky that I had some people who sort of understood where I was coming from given the circumstances I was in at the time that I could sort of talk about some of these thoughts with. But yeah, a lot of people are sort of out on their own and, and doing it. And I think there is power in just sort of admitting it. <laughs> and the more you talk about things, what I have found is the more I talk about things, the more it gives courage to other people to talk about things. And so I, I've always tried to embody the idea of like, I'm going to go first 
And that way other people feel comfortable going to, you know, like I always when I would lead small groups at church, I'm like, I'll be the weird one. I'll make it awkward. I'll say the hard thing. You know what I mean? Like I'll I'll be vulnerable first because I think that helps create the environment. And I think and not just to create an environment so that everybody's vulnerable, but, but it gives people like permission to do that, too. And so right. I mm-hmm. I like want to be a permission giver. Um, Cause I think that's like the convictions I have now I am solid in because I've taken the time to figure it out, but it's okay for that to be sort of like fluffy and ambiguous for a little while because it takes time to figure that out. And it's a long, like it can be a long discerning process that does require a lot. It requires a lot of like looking and conversation and study and prayer. And so as you work it out, you know, with fear and trembling, we're all figuring it out. And so why not expect that as part of the process and make it part of the process? Because I think it's natural and it's healthy rather than just sort of demanding everyone believe no matter what. And I think that's sort of where it gets sort of tricky. So, yeah, I think I just want to be a permission giver and to give people space to do that. Yeah, with uh, what you mentioned about how faith, well, I, I see cert- yeah, as people have said this before, me, but certainty is kind of the uh, the absent the absence of faith in some mm-hmm. ways if you are like so certain you're never going to ever look at that ever again there i don't know it's like you stop thinking about it there's no leap to take too there you're already yeah. there and so some people like ultra fundamentalist tend to say i'm never going to question anything and there's people all the way in the other direction like i'm questioning absolutely everything down to the core and you mentioned that you had things that are solid that you you figured out how do you how do you know when to stop questioning or should you stop questioning or is is that even the right question to ask <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think you just sort of i think on one hand you just sort of know you know um i i think when you sort of get to the end of wrestling with something and you feel i i just felt really peaceful and settled in my soul about some things and that was enough for me now is that to say that I will never revisit those no I think that's healthy I definitely I think it's a cyclical thing um and there will always be circumstances sometimes that like force us into that reconsideration mm-hmm. so yeah I mean I I do think we semi arrive but that that shouldn't be static forever like I think we continue to move through and it may even still evolve over time but and maybe other people are better with ambiguity than I am like I know I talk about all of this but I'm also a person who sort of needs to figure things out Um, Mm -hmm. and so I pull things apart until I get to a point where I figure things out so maybe people are okay with like gray and squishy that's harder for me so I need to sort of like find a solid place and some people are okay with not doing that and i think oh yeah you know, everybody's different i think yeah i was like i think that's totally okay too so for me i'd say it's probably going to be cyclical and it'll come up in different ways throughout my life different circumstances forcing me to think through different things so i definitely don't imagine that everything i believe today or that i feel convicted of today will remain that way forever but i feel really good about the convictions i have right now i really love the idea of giving permission and i feel like part of the permission is to drop a facade or kind of a mask that's fake, but still mm-hmm. stay in the community and stay, you know, stay in the struggle around the people, but without having to look or appear to have it all figured out 
or or to be able to say out loud, here's a thing that I'm working, you know, struggling with or working through. And that kind of just sounds like ministry, you know, shepherding to yeah. me a little bit, but culturally, but at the same time, it's, it also sounds um, scary and a little bit counter church cultural to, to be saying those things out loud. I'm a little bit interested as you were kind of moving through, what kind of permission did you have to say those things out loud? And then how did you get to a place and kind of who helped you get there to start to realize that it's okay to both be working through this and and still be part of the church? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So for me, a lot of my big shifts happened because I used to have a job where I did marketing for a missions agency. So part of my job was to actually go on documentary trips and sit, you know, across from people in rooms of various types and hear how God was working in their lives, hear how the church was growing or thriving or working or ministering in whatever region I was in. And it's almost like, you know, when you go to camp or you go to like a short-term mission trip and you and that like re-entry is like really hard. That was like for me, except I suddenly was very, I didn't feel like really great about myself. I was suddenly very aware of the um, idea or the reality that um, I did not practice my faith with, with as much obedience and sincerity as these people did. Or I did not... All of the hardships I think I face in my faith are like nothing <laughs> to some of these people. And that's not to say that other people's struggles aren't valid. I'm I'm in a I have a pretty privileged life, so that's not saying that much for me. Like <laughs> um, but it just sort of like made me realize and it made me go, okay, well, if this is true and if this is okay, and and I believe this is good and this is, you know, glorifying to God here. What does that mean about how my church practices or what I believe about XYZ in the church or in faith or whatever? And I really had to sort of reorient myself and go, what does it mean to have a faith that works all over the world in every time, in every place, in every context? Hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's not contextualized, right? But it does mean that the principle behind the thing has to transfer. And so that was sort of the lens that I had to unpack that with. Now, fortunately, I worked at a missions agency where a lot of people had gone through that same thing. And so I had a good community of people there for a while that I was able to unpack that with. It was a little bit harder in my actual church community because that those weren't things they were used to wrestling with um, or that they even wanted to wrestle with. And so some of that was awkward. Um, my husband was a trooper. Um, he, I even took him on a trip with me cause I was like, you need to understand. And he did that. We, we went overseas together for a couple of weeks and that was really helpful for us and for him. And I think that ultimately was one of the better things we did for our marriage was because he needed to, I needed him to understand what it felt like to come back and the things that I was wrestling with that I hadn't really had a chance to, that is hard to put into words when really you just have sort of like story upon story, experience upon experience. And so over time, I found a couple of people that I could ask questions or wrestle with or just talk about stuff. You know, I like having sort of those like big, 
big esoteric, like (laughs) random discussions about things. Cause sometimes you just want to like chop it up about like stuff like that. And I, well, I do anyway, I really enjoy (laughs) sort of just like exploring and asking big questions and seeing what people, you know, where it goes. And so I did have a handful of people, but it did sort of feel like in bigger church settings or even like in our small group, which was, you know, 15 to 20 people at a time, not everyone there felt super safe to talk to. Um, So it's really just sort of like, but that was sort of trial and error. You kind of have to like test the waters with a couple of people in like some mild ways in order to see what is like who and what is safe. So I had some built-in communities that, and I think that sort of started with those like built-in communities where um, we all had at least a common experience around this that we could build off of. But yeah, it was definitely a lot harder with people who didn't have those common experiences. Mm-hmm. The, I I just want to circle back that I've never heard anyone say this. I don't know how I missed this, but just the idea of a faith that works all over the world mm-hmm. is a really yeah, like profound that thing just like what would that look like or what is that and it doesn't take a whole lot of experiences to realize i guess some of the things that that are biggest for us like you said are non-existent or um, not non-issues if you fly enough miles away yeah and i'll also say you know a a lot of people don't agree with me on where that takes me sometimes (laughs) yeah um and i get that because you know Every tradition of Christianity has different theology around different things. But for me, it has to be transformed. Like, I, that has just become so important. I, um, the witness of those people, I cannot bring myself to call unfaithful when I have heard their stories and I've seen their hearts and I've seen how they care for people. And so if that means that some of my beliefs about church or the sacraments or who can lead and who can't have been adjusted, I'm okay with that because that means I can honor those people that changed my life over there. Yeah. That's, this is a random nerd aside real quick, but sometimes the question is more valuable, I think, than the answer. So like Mm. if you wrote out, here is the church that works all over the world, you know, a hundred people would have different visions of that but the question is is a great starting point for a journey and it's that's how einstein came up with his theory of general relativity was he was like what if physics worked in every frame of reference and then he just daydreamed about it right and and came up and now we know about black holes and and gravity and space-time because of just the curiosity of of the very basic simple kind of question like is yeah. you know what parts of my faith are cultural and what parts of my faith go all the way down to kind of the the basics so I, I really like that yeah and it's okay to have both but it's recognizing when one is cultural and when one is christian biblical whatever label you want to put on it did any of those things surprise you when you came across them You're like okay this is a cultural thing i didn't realize it was cultural mm. i mean i guess i would say I guess maybe I'll talk about some of the shifts. I would say the number one shift or like what looks like the biggest shift in my life was my change into um, affirming women in leadership Mm. from this because I went overseas and 
you know, if you look at the statistics, but even if you meet the people on the ground, you'll see that women tend to come to faith first mm-hmm. in these communities because they're community people, right? And they, mm-hmm. you know, they have friends and they're talking to people and and they're doing that. Um, they're doing a lot of leading and, you know, just sort of like sitting back and realizing that a woman may be a believer for 10 years and then a, a man could come along and become a believer and some people would say now he's supposed to be in charge because he um, is a man and she's not. And I'm like, that just, that makes no sense. Like it just doesn't make sense. Right. And there are people who would build in exceptions or whatever, you know, well, there were no worthy men or men who wanted to lead or whatever. And so it really just like made me explore and, you know, digging into that and digging into some of the biblical witness around like women who were in leadership or, even how people like Jesus and Paul put people, put women in those places. Um, it really opened my mind to that because I suddenly realized that this paradigm that I had for whether or not women could lead had to work in these places where the church doesn't look like it had, like it does here where we have all these resources and we have mm-hmm. seminaries and years of, um, training and like all these barriers um, to entry at, that are helpful barriers in a lot of ways, but um, I guess not helpful barriers, but helpful resources. And so I think it's important. It was important for me to open that up. And so for that's really where that opened um, for me. So it was a lot of little things like that. Like I wouldn't even say that I shifted hugely on a lot of stuff. Um but being able to sort of like look through it at a through that global lens in order to make something biblical or Christian or necessary has been a helpful frame for me because it it allows me to hold a lot of tension. But I think it also gets closer to I don't know the the God who wants people to come in right the God who wants people to thrive and and flourish and um. And that's what I believe the church is for. And I, I, uh, yeah. So I think examining a lot of that has been really important since then. So, I mean, there's probably a hundred things that are like that, that are a little like that. Um, but, uh, that's probably like the biggest one I can point to that I think a lot of people will get. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can track with that. (laughs) a lot of the same feelings myself. I feel like the, and like w- w- women in leadership in, in our tradition, that there were always these weird loopholes that kind of yeah. exposed when legalism is happening. That's when you get weird loopholes. Um, but one of them was missionary work. Right. Um, that's a, always been a, a strange, um, strange phenomenon. And I feel like the, like there's a missionary paradox that happens. That's also very similar to kind of the seminary problem. And you're about to have kind of a double dose where you go as a missionary, it's experiences or people or cultures or just that new perspective. Then you come back and that's when you have a crisis. And as a seminarian, you maybe learn deeper theology or history of the Bible or history of the church or et cetera. And so now you're equipped with this, like you're holding this torch of like all this excitement or, or nuance or whatever it is. But then you come back and it's very difficult to share that with people who haven't experienced it from for themselves. We we equip a seminarian and then send them to a church where mm-hmm. they're not going to like those you know 
ideas that that person is leading. So how was your experience kind of initially and how have you learned how to bring your perspectives or your experiences to people who haven't had those firsthand? I mean, like I said, it was really hard sort of like jumping in and and getting back in. Um, I think part of me also felt kind of resentful of my American church experience whenever I looked at um, like the sincerity of some of the experiences overseas in the churches I got to witness there. And so I sort of had to work through that and realize that no community is perfect and me trying to idolize, you know, have this ideal version of of what community is might actually be keeping me from having any kind of community. So that was sort of the first thing that I kind of had to wrestle with and just know that I could introduce it little by little. So for me, it's mostly just been like sharing stories or when we talk about the Bible, you know, I bring those perspectives and the things that we learn, whether I'm learning it in school or I learned it by rereading or there's a story or somebody told me something like I think it's being okay with accepting experiences of as a a valid filter too. like I think there's a bunch of um sort of like why I love the Wesleyan quadrilateral right it allows for that tradition and experience and reason and scripture to go together and not in a way that negates each other but illuminates all of that and so I think that's been really helpful for me because even something that is subjective, like experience, can bring enlightenment. And so that's been helpful. And so, yeah, I think it's been a lot of like sharing stories and like being okay with sharing um, stories from my time overseas as well. So that when I talk about a shift or I talk about something, there's at least, there's a context for it that I've created or brought with me because I, I don't expect everyone to jump to where I am. But I also think there's like a way of, I think you have to sort of like temper stuff too. Like there's a lot of things I believe about how we read the Bible and everything now that would probably make (laughs) some of my old friends like, you know, whoa, she doesn't take it seriously or whoa, we have to like watch out. And I'm like, no, these are actually just like accepted things that your pastor probably learned too. You just don't see him do that every week. And so, but this is the process and these are the questions he's asking and now he's approaching it. Um, And so it's just sort of like, again, it's like permission, right? Or, and that's part of why too, I find it really important not just to teach about the thing itself, but to like teach the process of it, you know what I mean? Because I'd rather people have tools that they can take with them all the time and recreate everything than just have like this little nugget of knowledge that I gave them. Though that's really fun for me too. I'm, I literally play trivia for fun. It is, I love <laughs> learning things and I love giving people little nuggets of knowledge. And I think that's fun and important, but I would much rather train someone or give someone tools or help people give them questions or orient them. And that's even sort of been my approach to seminary this time around. So I actually went to seminary right out of college, um, a a very different seminary to the one I go to now. And I always say, like, back then I wanted to know the answers, and now I want to have better questions. Like, now that I'm in seminary again, I want to have better questions so that I can take those with me because my knowledge may change or what I believe may shift a little bit over time. But if I have good questions and, like, a good set of tools – then I can 
I know how to walk through that and I won't be mm. stuck again, right? Like I'll have at least things to lean on to work through in order to make that happen. And I think that's something that I didn't always have before. So as you're talking to people, uh, we've we've talked to quite a few folks who, or at least I have, who are kind of afraid to start asking questions and start going down that path. And so, how, how would how do you how would you help people along like overcome that discomfort or you know, like the, I because there are some people in in the quote unquote deconstruction movement who have like all the way to atheism and people some sure. people are afraid of that and they don't want to go there like i'm gonna get, get it sucked into it how do you balance that or help somebody along the lines of someone who's wanting to start asking hard questions that they've never asked before well i i do think it starts with a, a willingness um like until you're willing to ask questions like until you're at some point you just sort of like have to be brave <laughs> um and try i think it's too trusting your faith, trusting your belief, trusting God and what you know to be true about him. And, and that may expand, but I think it, um, I think we fear that our faith is fragile. And so it'll break if we start Mm. opening it. And, um, and I know this sounds very new agey. I'm not new agey at all, (laughs) but I think it, um, (laughs) I think it's very much like you have to be, you have to just sort of like maybe dip your toe, right? Like ask a little question or go back to something that feels pretty solid. Um, Like I always tell people, you know, if you're going to deconstruct or you're going to ask questions, you need to figure out what you think of Jesus first, right? Because you can save yourself a whole, a whole lot of time (laughs) if you figure out what you feel, what you think about Jesus. Yeah. Um, because if you don't believe in that or you figure out, you decide something else, like you don't have to go through deconstructing everything else. You can just, (laughs) you can deconvert if that's how you feel. Like, I hope that's not the case for you. I, I long for everybody to be in relationship with God through Christ. That's, that's my whole jam. But (laughs) I think if you're not afraid, like, I think you have to know what you're willing to look at and even start with something small, maybe start with something that's not that important to you. Right. (laughs) Um, if you, I think everyone's going to jump at it differently. Some people will jump in and just sort of like demolish everything and then start looking around to build things up. That's not how I did it. Um, I was like, I'm still committed to Jesus. I still believe in, you know, the goodness of the church at large, how, what do I need to examine? What do I need to get clear in order to feel um, a little more solid? And I actually found that there were a lot of things that I still believe, you know, that I believed then. And there are some things that have expanded or changed. I think mostly the application of my faith has changed more than my faith itself. But you have to sort of be willing to answer the questions or to ask the questions and be willing to sort of follow the path. And just, I mean, at some point you do have to trust that, even this God uses to your good. Like it's, um, it's not something you have to fear. There's a lot of people who have walked through figuring out, like retooling the way that their lives are. Like deconstruction isn't actually a new phenomenon. Sure, I would argue Jesus was doing it with the disciples, with the Pharisees, with everybody in the Gospels. 
Um, the reformers did it with their faith, you know, when mm-hmm. they were making things over and examining thing. So I think like rooting it historically and realizing that it's okay and it's healthy and then dipping your toe in, in whichever way feels safest to you to start, but also just trusting that the goodness of God is there to carry you through too. Yeah. Having some faith in your faith. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that, like you just alluded to that permission again. Like, mm-hmm. I think one reason people are afraid to ask the questions is they think that their only example that they know of is some friend that went off the deep end or something. You know, like they, sure. there aren't people who are living out this and then that it's part of their genuine faith journey and they end up somewhere kind of more mature or more solid at the end of it. It, like that all stays on the inside. The pastor that has the doubts doesn't get up there and say, you know, preach the sermon yeah. and say like, I'm not sure what I think about this right now because the, they get fired or they, you know, the, or they just kind of keep that on the inside until they figure it out. But the entire, uh, something I've learned through you, like this, the, the entire book of Acts is a story of watching the church disentangle and kind of answer the question like, let's make a faith that works outside Jerusalem. Right. Like they're just starting yeah. small and getting it wrong. And the there's forward movement, even though it's messy. Like the, they didn't get it perfect. And then, and then the gospel spread or get it right. And then the gospel spread, they got it wrong, 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 wrong. And the gospel spread anyways. And then they kind of fixed it some and then backslid. And, you know, it's a, we're watching that story. Yeah. It's the whole new Testament, right? Like you, this is why Paul wrote letters to people. This is why, you know, James, John, Peter wrote letters to the different churches to encourage them, to admonish them, to correct them. Like this is just, it's part of the process. And as culture changes, as society changes, we meet maybe not different challenges. I mean, they're sort of like the same challenges dressed up differently, And as we do, you know, we have to rise to the occasion and figure out what it looks like to live now, here and now, um, you know, with this faith that we have. So, yeah, I think it's really important that we look at the Bible that way and look at it as sort of a source of wisdom and even look at how they worked through that in community and figured it out together. And we're willing to be corrected. I mean, we just I just recorded the part where Priscilla and Aquila correct Apollos and he's like not mad about it. He's like, great, thank you. Let's go. And he like picks up and he keeps going. And so I think there's a good dose of humility that we have to carry with us even as we figure things out. Even though I know what I'm convicted of now, I believe there are a lot of people who are convicted in good faith of different conclusions from me, you know? And so it's really hard to be like, I think you're wrong, Um, or I believe differently, but I believe you are trying to be faithful like I'm trying to be faithful. So let's hold that together and know that we probably are all messing it up somehow, right? Like we're all messing it up. We're not going to figure it out perfectly. But yeah, bringing humility with you and I think working through this process, at least for me, has been the biggest humility builder because I've realized how much I don't know or how much I wasn't exposed to before or Mm -hmm. how many different ways you can look at the same passage and and come out with something different like I the more I learn the more I find it hard to to fault 
hardly anyone, you know, aside from like people who abuse those things, you know, especially willfully that, you know, we're all, we're all just navigating, we're managing the best that we can so we can have some grace and humility. And I think that's something that needs to be in these conversations a little bit more too. Yeah. I I love too, that you're bringing people along with you because the, something that I, that challenges me, I almost never just discover some paradigm shifting thing on my own or like studying or reading the Bible. I'll, I'll find cool things, but they're almost always fruit of something else that I've been, that's been going on in my life. And then I can see mm-hmm. it finally. But as you bring people in or it's a community, like that's when I see someone else who has, com- like you just said the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And I was like, what is the Wesleyan? Yeah, same. You know, and, <laughs> oh, and, they're, they're, <laughs> and then, and then I was like, it's probably a square. And you said tradition experience, uh, scripture and reason. So that's gotta be it. So yeah. um, I just, but that's happened on your show and that I'm, and that happens with me just when I talk with other Christians, someone will say, and of course this passage means this. And I'm like, what? I've never heard that in my life. What do you mean? You know, you're, you have these foundational assumptions that I like, I am just learned uh, uh, something just from like running into another Christian kind of figuring out on their own as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the value of community. And I think that's why I really hate that a lot of people go through this alone because there is so much value in us just not just having the permission to talk about it together, but in in sharing that together. And I think that's how I think the Holy Spirit and community are often the guardrails through the faith whenever there is no special training and there maybe isn't, you know, not everyone has a Bible in their home or even the Bible translated into their language. Like there's a lot of barriers, but the Holy Spirit and community are things that we all have if we're believers for the most part. I think community is limited for some people in adverse circumstances around the world. But those are the things that we can rely on. And I think the spirit uses those himself, obviously, and community in order, you know, to sharpen us and to open our eyes to different things and to bring us along together. And so I think it's really important to have that aspect, which is part of why I love having so many people on my podcast that way, because it's really fun for me to see. And I purposely like try to pair people up from different traditions or like different places that they live. Cause I want to, I want to hear how they experience it differently. And that's really fun. And I think that's really valuable for yeah. us as believers. Yeah. We so easily get stuck on our track or our own little slice of the faith, you know, Christian Christendom, whatever you want to call it, that we think that that's the only thing that, that there is and that anything else is probably screwed up some way, shape or form. Yeah. And there's, you know, I, I having done mission work myself in Germany, the, just the forced different view of that. And so I, when you were talking about how that really changed your view, just the forced difference uh, really brings a lot of things to light that, and, and I suddenly, find, I, find, I found myself like prioritizing things that I used to think, oh, everything's equal. <laughs> you know, everything's equal as, as uh, importance wise, as far as, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what we should believe and all that kind of thing. And you suddenly realize that once that hits the road, that that becomes a very different kind of a situation. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I feel like the, I identify as a messy middle Christian. Absolutely. And I'm thankful for that terminology. Also just a messy Christian. 
um, and messy. <laughs> I think we're all messy, messy Christians, um, <laughs> yeah. even if we think that we're not. <laughs> Definitely. And so, so something I'm, I'm curious about as you've kind of moved through this, what, how have you seen God working and what, what surprises have, have you encountered? What's, what ha, have you run into that's been unexpected? Ooh. Um, gosh, I mean, so many things sort of feel unexpected. If you'd asked me five years ago if this is what I would be doing, I wouldn't have, I would have said no. Um, I was very, uh, like I was, I had my own business. I was doing my own thing. I was like really happy. Well, mostly happy. I was successful. I was crumbling mentally, but I, on the surface, everything looked great. Um, and you know, a bunch of things sort of like forced me in a different direction. I never would have thought that I'd be back at seminary. Um, I was pretty convinced that God had shut that door and I was pretty, I was content with that for the most part. Um, I didn't believe that I needed seminary though. I'd really enjoy getting to do it. And now it's, it's a big blessing for me. Um, I wouldn't have expected (laughs) that I, you know, would have, left my church recently and like been finding a new one. I feel like, and all of that, I feel like everything that is happy is also sad. Like there's always those things are wrapped up so much together because one begets the other in a lot of ways in my life. And so, um, it's kind of hard to like point to one thing or to even separate like the grief and the joy, because I think they're, they're so together in a lot of different instances, Um, God is, I've stopped making plans for my life because, you know, God changes them constantly. So I'm just sort of like along for the ride now. (laughs) We just sort of like follow. I have some goals and, you know, that I feel led that he's pointed me to. But until those materialize, we just sort of like hang out and keep doing our thing. And I think that's been really healthy for me as well. Because I am, I'm a high achiever. I'm a doer. I like getting things done. I like everyone knowing just how good I am at everything. And so, um, it has <laughs> been a really, <laughs> it has been a really uh, stretching experience to say I don't know where God wants me, but I'm, I'm just here. And I think that's been helpful and healthy for me to learn to be more present and even embedded in my community and to find ways to use my gifts that are here and now instead of always sort of like delaying them for the big thing or the big goal or the next whatever. And so, yeah, I think I'm at this point in my life just trying to learn to be faithful in the spot that I'm in at the moment. I should say I have the, I have the thing where I want people to know what I'm doing, but I don't have the achiever part of it. So it's like the worst of both worlds. I'm not actually doing things, but I want I want to, I want people to think that I'm doing things. Is that an Enneagram Five thing? You guys are both fives. So, I feel, so personally, I think we're all three of us are Enneagram Fives. Yeah. Are we? I'm, a, I'm not. Steve hasn't dug into it, so that's a, I mean, I have two against. We had a whole pop, have you? We had a whole episode about it. No, I forgot. That's. I think I think Enneagram Fives all want everyone to know how much we know. Mm. Um, not necessarily how much we do, but I think those things sort of like inevitably go together because we want to be experts at whatever it is that we're doing. The hard part is it's hard to be an expert Christian, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) though a lot of people have made a lot of money. So 
saying that they are. I think it's really hard to be an expert Christian. And so I am destined to be disappointed in my achievement status for the rest of my life. But um, it's, anybody fu- who's it's fun an, learning along the way. <laughs> yeah, anybody who calls themselves an expert Christian concerns me. <laughs> yeah, I, that'd be you a red be an flag expert for in, me personally. In areas of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, like at self-sacrifice and self-lowering and service? You're, you're the best <laughs> right. at that? I'm the best. I'm the most humble man in the world. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, or did, or do you just know the most about what a best Christian should be? There's a there's a big difference between. Mm. That's that's my constant life struggle. As long as you're is, right, that's what yeah. matters. Being right is definitely the most important. I want to live a hundred percent of my faith directly in my brain, and uh, I struggle to get any percent of it like into my embodied, uh, <laughs> incarnate experience. So. Um, I, it helps to imagine it or to put what helps me um, because I'm obviously the same way. Uh, it helps me to either imagine myself doing it or to imagine someone else doing it. Like, I don't know, almost like you feel like you have an out of body experience, like imagining <laughs> yourself doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. then it's sort of like it jump starts some of that embodiment stuff. Are you it's manifesting? Really are you teaching me how to manifest right <laughs> <Yes>. now? <laughs> yeah. No, just meditate and focus and everything you want will come to you. Um, I mean, I will say meditation does really help me because I can sort of like, it helps me like tune into like my breath and my body. Mm -hmm. But um, I think meditation is very underrated. Yeah. No, I actually do appreciate that tip because I, I do, I struggle to get out of the, out of the brain. Any any help. I understand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have to. I recently bought a pound of clay because I was like, what is more like earthbound than just like molding clay? But I'm not good at it. So I, I was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I only do hobbies I'm good at too. If I'm not good at it within like a week, I'm like not doing it. This nope. is no fun. <laughs> yeah. It's no fun to be bad at things. Yeah, so how's that Hebrew class coming along? I, I had a friend ask me once, like, what are my hobbies? And I was like, winning at stuff? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I Inviting people over to play games, but oh, I have to great. swap out the people group with, yeah. I was like, if it's something I'm good at, I want to do it. And if I'm not, I don't. That's that's the answer. Uh, yeah, same. Well, you guys so, are in good company with uh, C.S. Lewis because he, I remember, I remember, you ever seen the movie Shadowlands with where, uh, yeah, but it's been uh, Anthony a really Hopkins. Long time. Anthony Hopkins yeah. plays C.S. Lewis. Fascinating. Anyway, in it, um, his his brother, I think, or one of his friends, gets onto him. He's like, "You've crafted your world where everybody, you are the smartest person in every room you walk into." <laughs> it's like, I know, I know people like that. That sounds like a great world. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I love really, it. Really, <laughs> really limits the rooms I can walk into. Unfortunately, yeah, but <laughs> you know. I do my best. There aren't to, a lot of rooms I get to go in, which is fine because I'm an introvert yeah. and I don't want to be there anyway. So <laughs> rooms with people in them, out. Uh, well, oh, Kate, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, this has been really great. And I I've got your mission statement here. First of all, I'm just going to compliment your website because it is difficult for me to like boil down ideas to the simple. What am I trying to say here? And every page. Uh, has some some of that kind of editing and thinking work that has happened. So I highly encourage people to go to um, your website, kateboyd.co. We'll put it in the we'll put it in the yeah. in the notes. 
Um, but you, you've got this mission that I feel like we kind of share here on the show. So you say you're making a space for believers who find themselves in the messy middle between conservative and progressive, between loving the church and leaving it, and helping navigate those tensions of Christian life so that we can walk uh, more confidently walk the lines between doubt and certainty, faith and action with love and grace for all, just like uh, yep, such a great... It's actually very wordy. I wish it was shorter, but it is what it is. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's a... But it was hard to capture everything that I wanted to say. So yeah. <laughs> the copywriter in me is like, I wish it was pithier, but... No, you should try I, like a, a shape, a quadrilateral, an equal, I don't yeah. know, a parallelogram. See if you can just get it into a, like a triangle and you, you know. Four words. I do have a thing called the discipleship pyramid. So I'm actually, I love coming up nice. with frameworks like that. Like that's <laughs> sort of, I love sitting around and doing that. That's like how my brain works. So yeah. you got your website, your newsletter, your podcast, your speaking events, your seminary, your dog, your husband, yep. busy woman. Best of luck. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. And we'll, like like Nathan said, we'll stick all the all the links to locate stuff in the show notes, and uh, I'll talk to you again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you got something out of the episode today. Check the show notes in your podcast app for all the links and references that were made. Or you can find it all at followingthefire.com. If you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash followingthefire to become a patron. And of course, we'd love it if you rate the podcast and share it with others. See you later. And I'll give you all my heart. Don't you know it's all I have? Even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth I have been running Almost all my life But you You always chase me down